Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Let's welcome Carl Butler as he comes tonight. Amen. Thank you, Reverend. Hallelujah, what a good God we have, amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus one more applause for being so amazing. Lord, we bless you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're here. Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, you're wonderful, amen. Thanks, Musos, you've done just an amazing job. You can take your seats tonight. Hey, I reckon, Pete, that was one of the best offering little talks I've heard in a long time, mate. That was awesome. And uh, gee whiz, I just wanted to give God everything tonight. And uh, it's just amazing, eh, when you hear a good word that encourages us like that. And also, you had a phenomenal prophetic word that's right in line with what I'm talking about. And so I just love that when God's in the move and in the, we're in the flow and uh, good things are going to happen. So if you come tonight, expecting a miracle, give me a wave. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God of miracles? I love serving a God of miracles. Nothing is impossible to our God. Amen. And, uh, you know, anywhere or everywhere, basically, you read in the Bible, you're going to find miracles. They're popping up all over the place in Scripture, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And one of the greatest workers of miracles in the Old Testament was an Old Testament prophet called Elisha. And Elisha is known as a type of Christ. You see, Jesus' name means Savior, and Elisha's name means my God is salvation. And we see when we, when we put Elisha and Jesus side by side, there's a, there's a lot of things happen, particularly in miracles that are parallel. A lot of miracles that Elisha performed, Jesus also performed much the same nature and type of the miracles that he did. And we pick up Elisha's story. I want to talk about him tonight. And we pick up his story in 1 Kings chapter 19. He was a man of humble beginnings, though he did have wealthy landowners for parents. He himself was a plowman and, and uh, was out in his father's field just just following around some, some oxen and, and dragging that plow through the field. And one day he was taken by surprise. And this was when the great prophet Elijah turned up and threw his coat over Elisha's shoulders. Do what this meant. This symbolized that he was going to take on the mantle of Elisha, that he, Elijah, he was going to become the successor. And so this excited him, of course, and, and moved him. And so what he did, compelled by the gesture, was that he chopped up his plow. And, and then he made a fire with that. And then he killed his oxen, and he chopped them up, and he cooked them on the the fire and he gave the cooked up oxen to his workmates as you do when you are not intending on going back to your previous secular employment you see he just he just got rid of everything basically and then he turned and he went after Elijah and followed Elijah and then after some years of serving Elijah the big day comes and the big day is when Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven in a whirlwind and uh, that's pretty exciting that's the sort of thing you do expect for a great prophet you do expect that for someone whose life has caused a bit of a stir he's going to be taken up in a bit of a stir has anyone known anybody who's been taken up in a whirlwind or my mum was you know, my mum, she was a great woman of God. In fact, at my mother's 80th birthday, it was amazing. We had a big family reunion and everyone was gathering around and, and different people were making their, their little speeches and, and compliments toward my mum. And the MC, sort of as he was wrapping that section of the, of the party up, he made one statement and he said, is there anybody else who has anything to say about Mrs. Butler, about Christine? And on cue... It was phenomenal. There had not been any indication of this going to happen. And it's just suddenly this massive clap of thunder. It shook the whole place. And it was just on cue. And it was just like everyone looked at each other and nodded. And we were just like, yep, that was God right there. He just said, awesome, you know, she's awesome. That's all he said. But you know what happened? My mum died about about five years after that. And during my mum's funeral, we are in the church and we start hearing sirens and all sorts of stuff going on. And we didn't know what was going on. But what had happened during the service, the church was here, the road goes here, there's another road just on the other side of the church and a couple of properties. 
and up that street went a great big tornado during the funeral. It literally ripped roofs off buildings. It ripped roofs off a big placemakers, which is like a Bunnings. I think it's a Bunnings store now. And, and it just ripped up that whole street. And my mum went to heaven in a whirlwind. It was just like awesome. Uh, so praise God, eh? I think that's pretty neat. But anyway, so Elijah is about to be taken up in a whirlwind. And, and Elisha knew about it. And so Elijah was kind of on a little bit of a journey that day. And he went from, from Gilgal, Gilgal to, to Bethel. And then he went to Jericho. And, and then eventually he crossed over the Jordan. And in each place he was, he said to Elisha, Listen, mate, you wait here because God has called me and told me to go to this place. But every time Elijah said that, Elisha said, no way. He said, as, as the Lord lives, I am going to hang around with you. That I am not going to leave you. And he stayed with Elijah until they came down to the Jordan River. And when they got to the Jordan River, Elijah took his mantle, his coat, and he hit the river with it. And the river split in two. Just like the Red Sea, when the children of Israel went across, he literally, and it was a flowing river, got split in half so that there was a strip of dry ground, and the two of them walked across the river on dry ground. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And when they get to the other side, they're walking along a little bit, and eventually Elijah says to Elisha, mate, you've been hanging around like a bad smell today. He said, what do you want? And, uh, and, and what is it that you want me to do for you before I am taken away? And Elisha said, that is the question I have been waiting for. I have been waiting for you to ask me that question. And Elisha says to Elijah, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. What an audacious thing to say to the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And this prophet doesn't say, you upstart, who do you think you are? I mean, come on, I'm me, you know, I'm the great prophet. You want to be twice me? Get out of here. No, he didn't say that. He said, wow, you have asked for a difficult thing. But if you see me when I'm taken, it'll be yours. Otherwise, it won't be. And it's kind of like he didn't run away and hide or anything. It was like the very next verse, they were walking along and talking. Suddenly, this chariot of fire came whoosh between them and picked up Elijah. And he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind right there in front of Elisha. Wow. It was awesome. And as he was going up, Elisha cries out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Apparently, that's what you say when a great prophet of God is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Okay. Well, at least when a great prophet leaves the planet. And I want you to, to just note that because we're going to come back and we're going to visit that statement in a little while. My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. So Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And the mantle of Elijah fell to the ground. He must have been going up in that chariot, and he looked down, and he went, oh, he's watching. <laughs> he saw me, okay, and he drops out his mantle, and it falls down to the ground, his coat, and Elisha just rips off his coat, rips it in two, chucks it on the ground. I don't need this anymore. And then he goes, and he picks up the coat of Elijah, and he goes walking off. He tried it on, he said, yeah, it's pretty good, you know, and he goes down back to the river where they had crossed over, and then he takes the coat off, and he goes, all right, let's give this a go. Let's just see if I got whoosh, and he hits the river with the coat of Elijah, and he says, where now is the God of Elijah? And whoosh, that river split in two, exactly the same way it had for Elijah himself. You know, when Elijah did that, that was his seventh miracle recorded in Scripture. When Elisha did that, that was his very first miracle recorded in Scripture. Scripture records 14 miracles that Elisha did, which is awesome because he got that double portion that he had asked the Lord for or asked Elijah for. And so Elisha did a bunch of miracles. Now, that's my water down there. Can I, was one of these all right? I'll just drink that. Or has that been slobbered on? I'll just drink that. So Elijah, Elisha, 
performed 14 miracles. And I actually want to look at three of his miracles tonight. A little bit audacious that we're going to do that. We're going to pull some little bits out of each one of these miracles and we kind of wrap it up at the end. And the first miracle is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. It's not his first miracle, but it's the first one that I want to look at. And it's the story of the widow of one of Elisha's fellow prophets who basically, uh, the prophet had died, of course, that's why she was a widow, and he'd left her in debt, and she was struggling to pay her bills, and the creditors had come, and they were threatening to take away her two sons and make them slaves in order to pay the bills. And so she comes and cries out. In fact, some of the prophets mention her to Elisha, and he goes to help her. And Elisha asks this woman, what do you have in the house? And she says, nothing but a flask of oil. Nothing but a flask of oil. Now, so often we get focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. It's kind of like, oh, I've got nothing really. Well, just this little flask of oil, that doesn't kind of mean anything. Listen, God doesn't need what you don't have. God only needs what you do have. You might think you've got nothing to offer, but if we bring to God what we do have, not what we don't have, then God is going to provide for us what we don't have. And so Elisha says to this woman, go and borrow as many empty jars as you possibly can from your friends and your neighbors and then shut yourself into your house. Go close the door and then pour that flask of oil into the jars and fill them up. So he was asking her to do something supernatural. I don't know if they fully comprehended what was about to happen, but they went into that room with all of these pots that they had gathered from their friends and neighbors, and they began to fill them up. And the Bible says, from the small flask of oil, soon every container was full to the brim. And the mother said to one of the sons, bring me another. And he said, there aren't any more. And it's kind of like that was one of those dope moments right there. Because as soon as she, he said, there aren't any more, the oil stopped flowing. Wouldn't you hate that? Wouldn't you just kick yourself if it was one of those moments and you just gathered together a certain number of, of pots, you know, you go on to a few neighbors and you kind of thought, well, that'll do. And, and you put that there and suddenly you're struck by the revelation, if only I had a few more pots. If only, I mean, come on, if only I'd just got the pots and pans as well as the Tupperware containers, has taken all of the lids off and we'd put them on and emptied out the fishbowl and put that there and the bathtub and just bring Eric, go, let's go to the Joneses place. I'm sure they got some more stuff there. And you just filled the whole place with containers. You would have wished you had just the whole house so packed with vessels, wouldn't you? I tell you, I would have anyway. But, uh, you know, this even though... What they did was enough. And Elisha encouraged them just to go and sell what they have. And, uh, and basically they did. She went and sold all of that oil. And that was enough to, to provide for her and for her sons as long as she lived. Which is pretty cool. But is that the limit of what God intended in that moment? Or did God intend more? Because if we fast forward 800 years and we have a look at Jesus' miracle of multiplication when he was feeding the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. Here they are in this field and, and, and basically the disciples say to Jesus, God, all these people need some food. You might as well send them home quickly. And, and, and Jesus just says, you feed them. Oh, well, how do we do that? And he says, what do you got? And they found this little boy. He had two fish and five loaves. And that was it. And do you know what they said to Jesus? Just like what have a lot of what of us said. But what, what is that with so many? What is that among so many? See, see, if we, so often we see, sorry. So, let me just get this straight. So, we see, okay. I just wrote this. I'm just trying to get my head around it myself. But if we, if we do what we can with what we have, then God is going to do what we can't do. Amen. 
and, and he's going to turn the impossible into the possible. And you know, sometimes we feel not just that we've got nothing, but we feel like we're a nobody. But you're not a nobody, you're a somebody. And you're not supposed to bring to God who you aren't. You're supposed to come to God who you are. And when God takes who you are, He can do something amazing in you and He can do something amazing through you. And He will turn you into something and somebody amazing. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says this, And God, and I believe this is always His intention with a miracle, and God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything that you need. And plenty left over to share with others. See, God's intention is always more than enough. God wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants to do more than you can contain. Amen. Because see, another cool thing about this particular verse and about this particular miracle is that oil in Scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is God will only stop pouring out His Holy Spirit when there are no more thirsty vessels to be filled. Amen. How many people are thirsty, thirsty to be filled tonight? I mean, come on, you've got to be. I know some of you, you're pulling that top off your Tupperware container as fast as you can right now, and that's awesome. But, you know, uh, when Elisha performed this miracle, the oil stopped. It's like they were all filled to the brim. But see, when Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit, he fills us to overflowing. It doesn't just stop at the brim. His intention is for that overflow. His intention is always for that abundance. And he will only stop pouring out his Holy Spirit when we stop thirsting for more. So how many people want more tonight? Give me away. Because I know, I was sensing it right from the start of this meeting, that God wants to break loose. God wants to pour out more. He wants to give you something fresh. Amen. Now, I was 16 years of age when... When I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had my first kind of powerful encounter with God at that moment, got filled to overflowing. And, and, and from that moment on, I was contagious. Anyone else noticed that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? And I just couldn't wait to get my hands on people and pray for people. And they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and soon I was having all these other encounters with God. But I, I just kept hungry. I was one of these people. I remained so hungry for God. Every time I'm in a, in a meeting, particularly when there was a guest preacher, they always seem to pick me out and prophesy over me. It's some, God, God sees the hungry. He sees the ones that are that wanting Him and wanting more. And, and he'll, he'll point them out to the prophets and, and to the men of God. And, and they'll speak over their lives. And, and so I had lots of people speaking over my lives. And, and I've got some pretty wild encounters with God that I can share about that have happened in my life. And I just kept on pushing in for more. Because, see, I kept pouring it out. I kept pouring it out. And I'd go back, God, give me more. And I'd pour it out. And, and I wanted to go to another level, God. And I'd push in. And, and God would fill me in. I didn't know where God was going to take me. I didn't know I'd be to 54 nations around the world. I didn't know I'd be preaching to all these national presidents all over different nations and, and crusades and, and God moving and, and whole fields full of people getting filled with the Holy Spirit and just stuff, you know. It's just like, wow. God wants to do more through you than you ever imagined. He wants to fill you to overflowing. And He wants your life to have an incredible impact on this world around about you. Amen. But He wants to fill you. So tonight, we're going to bring all those cup Tupperware containers out to the front. And we're going to fill them up. And if you're a fishbowl, well, you can come as well. And that's all good. Amen. The second miracle that I want to talk about is actually Elisha's 14th miracle. You know, both Jesus and Elisha raised both children and adults from the dead. And one time Jesus himself was so moved by, by the, the death of a widow's only son who happened to be a growing young man, but he died. And Jesus was walking and kind of came across this funeral procession and found out that this you know, was the only son of this widow. And, and he was so moved by that, he goes, wait a minute, this ain't right. I'm not going to let this happen. And he puts his hand up and stops the coffin. They put it down on the ground. And Jesus just looks at him and goes, hey, get up, grabs him by the hand, pulls him up and gives him back to his mum. Pretty awesome, eh? It's like, come on. It's like, wow. I love that. But of course, the, the, the resurrection that you probably heard about, not just Jesus' resurrection, but just prior to his own death and resurrection, was when he rose Lazarus from the dead. And the awesome thing about when he rose Lazarus from the dead is he actually let Lazarus die. 
He had been called to come to Lazarus' sickbed to raise him up. And he deliberately waited where he was in a town some distance away for three more days until Lazarus had been dead and buried. And when Jesus eventually turned up, there was a Lazarus. Four days he'd been in the tomb. Four days. And they, they, when Jesus said, roll away the stone, they said, but Lord, he stinketh. I mean, he was rotting in the tomb. Awesome, eh? And, and Jesus called him out. We know the story. And Lazarus kind of comes stomping out, which was amazing. It's never too late with Jesus, eh? We think it's all dead and buried and it's in the grave. But come on, Jesus can call things out of the grave. And he can call you out of the grave. And that's even pretty awesome too. You know, I'm, uh, as I was sharing this morning, next week, actually Monday week, I am getting on a plane in the evening to fly to Nigeria to spend a week with Reinhard Bonnke and his farewell crusade, which is going to be one of the most awesome experiences that anybody could have in their life. I'm talking millions of people getting saved. I think they, as I said this morning, they got 500,000 counselors preparing for 8 million salvations and, and uh, the fire conference is the thing that I'm looking forward to and I've been praying toward and I know something amazing is going to happen. Reinhardt's called 40 evangelists from around the world, brought us over there and I've got the privilege and the incredible honor of being one of them. I don't know why, but I am. And uh, so here I'm going to be in that meeting and as I've been praying toward this, I've been having a vision of a meteor hitting the earth and it's like hitting the ocean and a tidal waves just going out from that place. And similarly, meteors hitting the ground and fire, rings of fire going out. And I just know that God's going to send out a new wave of evangelism like an anointing and everything all over the world. It's going to be amazing. But right now, Bulky, what a man of God. I mean, getting close to 70 million salvations through the ministry, which, of course, he's been gradually passing over the baton to Daniel Kalender over the last few years. But on the 12th of December, 2001, Reinhard Bonnke was opening a church in Onitsha uh, in Nigeria, which is a church that seated 12,000 people. And uh, he was upstairs preaching away when uh, Nanika Ikachuku brought her husband to church. The problem was her husband had been killed in a car accident four days before, or three days before, sorry. He had been in a morgue. He was dead. He was like dead, dead. He'd been partially embalmed. He was, he was stiff. He was cold. He was bored. And she took him to the service. And you can imagine she had quite a problem getting him into church that day. In fact, she got beaten by the guards at the gate trying to bring her dead husband to the church service. It's true. And she just, what a woman, eh? That's the sort of wife you want, isn't it? When you die, she's just not going to take, take no for an answer. And she's taking you, dead body, dragging you around all over the place. And uh, so they took this dead body and they put it in the basement of the church reaching upstairs because she believed that the anointing present there would raise her husband from the dead. And guess what? When they prayed for him, a bunch of people got around praying. I don't think they all had that much expectation because they prayed for him and kind of stood back. And then suddenly when he started breathing, they were all freaking out. It was like, flipping heck, he's breathing. He's a stiff and he's breathing. And though they had to grab him and they started rubbing him and, and just all the sorts of things you do to warm up a stiff, cold body, all right? And basically, after a while of doing that, he just sat up and he was normal, no brain dead or anything. Three days, the guy had been dead in the morgue. Pretty awesome, eh? I love that. Come on, bring it on. I want to have a look at Elisha's second resurrection. He performed a couple. Jesus performed a few as well. But uh, Elisha's second resurrection is pretty amazing because the crazy thing is he did it when he was dead himself. <laughs> That's pretty wild, isn't it? Raising someone from the dead when you're dead. And, and this story is found in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20. And the Bible says, Then Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders would invade the land every spring. What else do you do when you're a Moabite raider in spring? You go and raid Israel. And so this is what they did. And once when this happened, when the raiders were about to come, some Israelites were burying a man 
in the cemetery and they spied the Moabite raiders coming over the hill. Now, it kind of interrupted this funeral procession. It kind of took this formal occasion and made it rather hasty. And the Bible says they quickly threw the dead man's body into the tomb of Elisha. Now, I did a little bit of reading on this because different commentaries say different things. The thing that is interesting to note, it was something they did hastily, right? When you have got a bunch of Moabite raiders coming towards you with their swords drawn and on their horses and they're just going, charge, and you see them coming, you're not going to spend half an hour burying a body. You're going to just chuck them. And this is basically what they did. Now, the thing is, they chucked them in Elisha's tomb. Now, this is interesting. How did they chuck them in Elisha's tomb? Was Eli- Most of the tombs, they were like these concrete or uh, concrete, I could use, that's a probably term you could call it stone. That's a better word. Stone. These stone sepulchres. Is that how you say that word? Sepulchre. Stone sepulchres and with huge lids on top of them. And the lids would probably weigh several hundred kilograms, okay? And, and so if you're going to throw somebody into a, into a, into a stone sepulchre in, in a hurry, you're not going to spend however long it takes to move that several hundred kilogram stone off the top first. You're not going to then pop them in and then nicely move that stone back. And if you were intending on leaving that open, then you probably wouldn't have cared about throwing them in there in the first place. You would have just chucked them beside it and ran off, right? And so I was thinking about this. Well, was his tomb already open? If it was, why was it open? And... I was thinking, well, if, if you've got a tendency to raise people from the dead, you know, there's a high probability that you yourself might rise from the dead at some stage, eh? So perhaps they just left his tomb a little bit open just in case he rose from the dead and wanted to pop out. But I don't really know. It's a, it's a hard one. If you get the answer, tell me. But it's pretty cool. I, just interesting anyway. But So what did happen? They chucked this body into this tomb of Elisha. And as they're chucking in there, you can imagine it's kind of like, whoop, let's go. And they take off. And as soon as this guy's body hits the bones of Elisha, poof, he's raised from the dead. Can you imagine being there? Like suddenly this guy jumps up out of the grave and he shouts out, hey guys, wait for me. You could imagine the adrenaline rush that they got at the moment. Those guys broke the four-minute mile right there, running like, it's like flapping heck. Those Moabites had no chance of catching up with those guys that day. I tell you, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Ooh. And you know, a lot of people look at that miracle and they say, how awesome was the anointing that was upon Elisha's life. It was so awesome that this anointing was even in his bones and was able to raise someone from the dead. Pretty amazing. But what a tragedy. Because the tragedy is this. What the heck was Elisha's anointing doing in his bones? Why wasn't Elisha's anointing passed on to his successor in the same way Elijah's anointing was passed on to Elisha in a double portion. What happened? Why didn't this happen the way it should have happened? Well, let's have a look at one more miracle of Elisha. And this is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. This is the healing of Naaman, the leper. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram. And it's really Interesting because the armies of Aram often also raided and oppressed the nation of Israel on a regular occurrence. So there's armies, the the Aram army comes in and and thrashes Israel around a bit and goes out. And then suddenly this leader, this leader of the army, the commander of the army of Aram contracts leprosy. Now, it just so happened that one of the times when they'd been raiding Israel, they'd captured different girls and, and, and probably guys as well and taken slaves back. And in this commander's house, there happened to be an Israelite slave. 
And when he contracted leprosy, she said, oh, if only my master went to Elisha the prophet, he would heal him of his leprosy. Perhaps there was others that Elisha had healed of leprosy because even though the scripture records 14 miracles, I'm pretty sure they performed a lot more. They were probably performing miracles every day here and there. But uh, so Naaman thought that was pretty good advice. And he went and had a bit of a chat with his own king. And then he traveled to Israel. Now, thinking about this, if your army has been oppressing Israel and attacking Israel, raiding Israel, and then now you, the leader of the army, are turning up in Israel to get healing for your leprosy. You're probably not just going to be going with a couple of your mates. He probably had tanks and rocket launchers and, the, and, and thousands of troops with him. I mean, he would have had quite an entourage when he turned up there. And the Bible says that he also went with gifts. He went with, with 750 pounds, which is equivalent of about $250,000 worth of silver, and 150 pounds, which is about $4 million worth of gold. I mean, that, is, that in itself is going to make you a little bit of a target when you're traveling. So he, and, and, and as well as that, they had 10 sets of clothing that he wanted to give as a gift to the person that was healing him. But the king of Aram had given Naaman a letter to give to the king of Israel. And in that letter, he says this, uh, with this letter, I present to you my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. This is to the king of Israel. He's getting this letter from the king of a nation whose army has constantly been raiding and oppressing them. And this man comes and he's the king. He's the leader of the army. I want you to heal him. I, I mean, that's going to freak you out right there. It's like, come on. I, I can't do that. He's just looking for another excuse to come and raid us, basically. But Elisha heard about this. And so Elisha sent a messenger, and the messenger said, just send him to me. So Naaman, with his entourage, rocks up at Elisha's house, expecting Elisha to come out and wave his hands around and, and invoke the name of his God and, and do all this and that in order to heal him. But Elisha just sends out his servant, Gehazi. He says, Gehazi, just go out, tell Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and after he's dipped in the river seven times, he will be cleansed of his leprosy. Now, 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 Naaman just gets angry. Uh, he just, oh, come on, this is this is just not what I was expecting to happen. Come on, I, I was expecting something a little bit more exciting than this, a little bit more showy than this, and he got all angry, and uh, basically his his men had to calm him down. And when they finally had calmed him down, he, uh, he did what Elisha had said, and he went and dipped in the, in the Jordan, and he was cleansed. When he came up after the seventh dippling, he was cleansed. The Bible says his, his skin was like the skin of a baby. He was not just healed of leprosy. He was made whole. He was given a brand new, clean, full body. Now, the thing is this. It doesn't matter so much how somebody prays for you what they do, what they say. You know, I, I do seminars on moving in the miraculous and training people on how to heal the sick. And there's some general principles that you use. And sometimes there's ways of doing and saying things. But even I have noticed as I watch some other people, I'm thinking, gee, they just they do it so differently to the way that I teach people how to do it. And, and I think, man, I wouldn't teach it because my way they get more results. But no, but I'm seeing some really cool results and they're not doing it the way that I teach people to do it. And it, it's, But it, there's many ways of doing it. It's not so much how you do it. The thing is, who you're praying to and, and the faith that you're exercising when you're praying to that person to do what they do. Amen. And uh, that's exactly what's going on here. And so anyway, he got healed and um, Naaman went back and he tried to give his gifts to Elisha. So he's trying to pile on Elisha $4,250,000 thousand dollars worth of gold and silver and 10 sets of clothing and Elisha is just like get out of here I don't want your stuff get out of here and he leaves that's it you'd think that'd be the end of the story but this is where the story turns very tragic 
Because Gehazi, his servant, the one that could have inherited his anointing, the one that could have even inherited his anointing in a double portion, he was the one who had witnessed numerous awesome miracles. He had witnessed the multiplication of food. He had witnessed you know, food that was poisonous becoming non-poisonous. He would witnessed lepers being cleansed. He would witnessed people being raised from the dead. He would witnessed supernatural deliverances from the army of Aram. And suddenly something went infused in his brain and he took his eyes off the goodness of God and he got his eyes on the gold. And he snuck out and he, and he followed Naaman and the entourage down the road and caught up to him eventually and, and made a story up and said that there's a couple of prophets have turned up, you know, and, and, and Elisha has just asked me, he changed his mind and he, and he asked me if I could, you know, just come and get from you 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothes. And, and Naaman says, well, sure. I mean, he was wanting to give the whole lot away. And, and so he, he said, here, have 150 pounds of silver, and, which is equivalent of about $50,000. And he gave that to him. He gave him some men to help him carry that back to his tent. And he also gave him the two sets of clothes. And so Gehazi went back, he hid this stuff in his tent, thinking it was like, oh good, I got a little tip out of that one. And uh, then, he, then he went back to see the prophet Elisha. And when he turns up in Elisha's tent or wherever Elisha was, sitting under the tree or whatever he was doing, Elisha says to Gehazi, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi's like, I've been nowhere. And then Elisha says to him, wasn't my spirit with you when Naaman got down from his chariot? That right there is another one of those dope moments, okay? That's one of those moments when your blood runs cold. That's one of those moments when you think, flip, I am an idiot. Don't lie to a prophet. And I shouldn't have done that in the first place. And then so Elisha then pronounces over Gehazi, the reward, you could say, for what he had done. It's not the time to go running after this, but because you've done that, not only will you have that gold, but you will also inherit the leprosy of Naaman. And you will pass that on to your children and to your children's children. Whoa. Here is someone who had such an opportunity. Here is someone who could have had this incredible anointing. He could have had four times the anointing of the prophet Elijah. But instead, what does he pass on to the next generation? He passes on leprosy to his children and to his children's children. Wow. If he had his eyes on the right things, if he had his heart in the right place, just imagine what could have happened. Because you don't hear anything about Gehazi after that. That's the end of the story for Gehazi. My question for you tonight, where's your heart? Where are you at? What's going on in your life? What do you want? You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says that God knows exactly what you want. In fact, He knows exactly what you need, even before you ask. And God himself doesn't so much respond to our needs as much as he responds to our faith, as he responds to our prayers. The Bible says that if you ask, you will receive. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. And what is it that you're going after God for? What is it that you want to receive from God? What is it that you want to happen in your life? We serve an awesome God, amen? We serve a God of miracles. We serve a God of whom nothing is impossible. And, and it's, He's a God who's able to heal the sick. And if you're sick in your body tonight, He is able to heal you. He's more than able to heal you. He's willing to heal you. You know, Jesus healed many lepers. And we, we read stories of Jesus healing lepers, sometimes multiple lepers. And there was one particular leper who came to Jesus wanting to be cleansed of his leprosy. And he said to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said to him, I am willing. Amen. Jesus is willing. He is willing to make you clean. He is not just able to heal you. He is willing to heal you. He can heal you of all of your diseases. He can cleanse you of all of your diseases. And He also can cleanse you of all of your sin. 
If there's something that's got your heart, if there's something that's got your eye, if there's something that's distracting you from God's best in your life, God can heal you from that. Jesus can wash that away. He can set you free from the things that have got you locked up and lost. Amen. And He wants to do that tonight. And I'd like the musicians to come because I want to pause right here because we've got a little bit more. But I want to pause right here because I want to give you an opportunity. You do not want to go to the grave in your sin. You do not want to take your sin to the grave. And the good news is that we have got a Savior. Okay? We've got the Lord Jesus Christ who came to take away the sins of the world. He came, he took your sin, he took my sin upon himself. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world that we might be saved. He came into the world to set us free from sin and from the consequences of sin. And he just asks us to believe he's done that for us. Amen. I want us to stand to our feet if we can, just for this moment. Let's not move, but just, just stand. God loves you so much. I believe tonight is a moment, and you're going to hear a little bit more about that in a second. It's a moment that you don't want to miss. It's a moment that you don't want to handle wrong. And this very moment that we're pausing for, you don't want to miss this. You don't want to handle this wrong. You don't want to reject and miss this opportunity. For some of you, this might be your last opportunity. And you need to take this opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to embrace Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Having the confidence, having the knowledge that God's for you. He's not against you. He created you. You are made on purpose, for a purpose. You've been given gifts and talents and abilities. God has a plan for your life, and it's an amazing plan. He loves you so much. And even though things have happened in your life, and some of us, we've found ourselves going down this course of sin and being trapped by certain things, Jesus loves you so much. He's reached out to you. He's brought you to this place tonight because He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. Amen. And I want to give you this opportunity to say yes and say, Jesus, be my Savior. I want to make you my Lord. I've messed my life up and I want to put my life in your hands tonight. And if that's you tonight, while we all have our eyes closed in this moment, if we could just close our eyes, bow our heads. If tonight you're saying yes, and we've already got one hand raised here. If tonight you're saying yes, I would like to say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, be my Lord tonight. While we have our eyes closed, our heads bowed. If that's you, anyone else, quickly, give me a wave. Hold your hand up. God bless you, my friend right here. God bless you, my friend here. Three people so far. Anyone else over here? Thank you, my friend. Over here, five people so far have raised their hands. Anyone else tonight? You're saying, yes, I would like to say yes to Jesus. I would like to be set free from my sins. Who else is there tonight? Give me a quick wave. Maybe your hand's pounding. Yep, right there in the middle. Awesome. Six people so far saying yes to Jesus tonight. This is exciting. This is awesome. Amen. This is what I live for is to see people saved because this is what it's all about. I mean, this life is only temporary. This life is just like a wind, like a little vapor compared to eternity. And the decision that we make right now is going to determine where you are going to spend eternity. Is there anyone else who's saying, yeah, I, I want to take this moment. I want to say yes to Jesus. Who else is there? Quickly wave your hand. Quickly wave your hand. Or maybe for you tonight, you once prayed a good on you. Excellent. There's seven tonight. There's seven of us that are saying yes to Jesus. Maybe for you tonight, you, you once prayed a prayer. It might have been some time ago. It might have been in Sunday school or it might have been some years ago or even recently. But the reality is you haven't really gone on or you've been distracted and pulled away and, and got tangled up and stuff and you've been doing things you know you shouldn't do and tonight it's like man I, I, I need to get right with God I want to come back to God I want to have a, a new start a fresh start and if that's you well we've got our eyes closed while we've still got our heads bowed and you're saying that's me I want a fresh start tonight I want to give my life back to Jesus can you also give me a wave let me see your hand hold it up high okay number of hands going up that's awesome a number of hands going up so I'm, I'm giving my life afresh to Jesus us. So fantastic. This is wonderful. And, and so we're going to pray a prayer together. But uh, before we do that, I want you to do something. And uh, we're just going to 
just the guys are going to sing a song right now. Those of you who raised your hand, we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. We want to give you something. And even if you are having a fresh start, come on out anyway because we want to pray with you. Because uh, I know, I don't, I don't discredit or minimize someone saying, I want a fresh start with God. I see that as very, very important. And so if you raised your hand, if it's for the first time or you are coming back, you're getting right with God. Quickly, come. Coming right now. Just just come on out. Whoever you are, all of you, just come. The ones who raise your hand, come quickly. Come quickly. This is awesome. Let's put our hands together as they're coming. Isn't that wonderful? Seeing people say yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, so awesome. So awesome. Who else is there? Anyone else? Do you want to come and join them? Say, I want to take this moment. I don't want to miss. Come on, my mate. Come on out. Come on out. Who else is there? Come quickly. You raise your hand. This is your opportunity to say yes, to get right with God. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, listen, I just want to, I'm not quite finished yet with this because I don't want anyone to miss out. I really don't. And it's times like this, I can really sense the heart of God and I can sense the urgency of God. And 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 it just grieves me when people come to a meeting like this and they go out and they haven't connected with God and stuff happens and it just, just, whoa. And so I just want to pause for a moment. Let's close our eyes one more time. And, and if it's you tonight, you're, you're not sure. See, if you, if, if, if you were suddenly told by the doctor tomorrow, you're going to die tomorrow night. Seriously, would you be ready? Would you be ready? Because who's promising you tomorrow night? Nobody's promising you tomorrow night. But you're not sure. It's like, whoa. I, I, I'm not sure. Listen, while we have our eyes closed, just one more time, I'm going to ask you this question. If you are not certain that you are saved and you want to have the assurance of your salvation, quickly lift your hand up right now. You want to know for sure. Hold your hand up high. Give us away. Who else is there? Anyone else? This is your last opportunity, and I'm going to close the door. I'll give you a few more seconds. Anyone else? Quickly wave your hand. If your hands, your heart's pounding in your chest, this is your moment right now. God's speaking to you. Anyone else? Quickly. 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 Okay. Three, two, is there anyone else? One. Okay. All right. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for these awesome ones that have said yes to Jesus tonight. Fantastic. You know, God's looking at each one of you and He's seeing awesome. He is. He's seeing in you what He has put in you. He's seeing in you the gold that's in there. He's seeing in you the diamond that's in there. Some of you have yet to be refined fully, yet to, to see the, all the facets of the gold amazing stuff that God's put within you, but you are putting your life into the hand of the master craftsman tonight. You're putting your life into the hand of a God who's going to just bring out everything amazing that He's put within you, and He's going to just help you deal with all that junk, all that slag. You know, when they when they refine gold, a bit of slag comes to the skin. We've got, we've got a bit of that, you know, but He's just going to take the sin and the junk out of your life and make you awesome. Amen. And so, come on, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And as I lead you in a prayer, I want you to pray this with me. I want you to pray this with all your heart. In fact, we're all going to pray it. And the reason I ask us all to pray that, we're going to support these ones here. And maybe you felt in this moment you should have come on out, but something's been holding you back. There's been a little struggle there. While we pray this prayer, mean it, okay? Even if you're out there, while we pray this prayer, engage God right now. Hook in. And pray this with all of your heart and God's going to respond to this prayer. But we're going to pray a special prayer for these ones as well in a moment. But let's pray this together. Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have an awesome plan for my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I ask you forgive me for my sin. And I turn from it today. I give you my life. Live in me. Help me to live for you. Help me fulfill the plan you have for me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for giving me a brand new start. Thanks for salvation. I love you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Come on, let's put our hands together. But also... I just want you all to stretch your hands towards these ones here right now. Awesome. God's doing something amazing in your life, mate. It's great. It's great. He's got a fantastic plan in store for you. Come on. Let's just stretch our 
hands towards these lovely, wonderful people. Father, we want to thank You for these great men and women tonight. We thank You that You love them so much. We thank You for Your awesome plans for them. We thank You, Lord, tonight that You have, and you have by Your Spirit, given them the faith to embrace this moment and say yes and come to You. And Father, I pray in the mighty Name of Jesus that You take hold of their lives as they put them in Your hands. Lord, that You would move in their hearts, that You'd move through their lives. Father, You'd draw them so close to You. Lord, that You'd give them revelation of Your goodness. Lord, that You'd give them a love for Your Word. Lord, that You would, Father, do some amazing things in them. In Jesus' mighty Name, oh God, help them to know Your incredible love. Help them to to love your people and to love your house. And and Father, to just get in the zone with you. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask you to bless them, that they might fulfill the purpose you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Okay, so what we're going to do, listen, guys, just we're going to, we've got some stuff we want to give you. And Matt over here, this handsome looking hulk of a man that's married to Rach. Just quickly pop out with, follow him out there for a moment. Even if it's just a, if you're saying getting right with God, you can come on out with us here. We just want to help you out for a minute. Awesome. Come on, let's let's praise the Lord. Let's thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Carl's going to be back in two minutes. Just before we begin to pray and move on with the service, because we probably won't get a chance later, straight after this, we just want to give an opportunity to people to give to Carl's as a love offering. I think we did this this morning. We just do this, make this. We have guest speakers. And just to bless Carl, the Bible says to give honour where honour is due. And that people that preach, men of that pre- and women that preach the Word of God deserve double honour in, in what they do. And, and we, just, I just, we just love what Carl's doing. He's all over the world, goes to places that can't always afford to wear, you know, a, 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 to give him or pay for him to come and we can and we just want to bless him and uh, and so we can give him something to, for him to go and continue to do what he's doing and part of his fan the flame ministry is what God is doing through his life. So I just want to, our team's going to come around and uh, and just want to give you an opportunity right now to take out something to give. There's no pressure to do it, but we'd love you to give you an opportunity to give and to bless Carl and his ministry. So Lord, thank you Lord for those that are giving. Thank you for your generosity Lord God and let it be multiplied Father God in thousands of people being saved and healed Lord and transformed in Jesus name. Thanks team if you want to take that up and we're going to continue while we're doing that singing song. God, how great you are, how great, how great you are, Jesus. My God, how great you are, how great, how great you are. My God, how great you are. for your generosity tonight and I know even as as Peter was sharing earlier on Lord you've just shown your heart state to the Lord in the way that you've done that and I really pray God's blessing upon you and I pray he continues to bless and to prosper this church because I know that as I was sharing this morning this church is going to be and is and is going to continue to be a lighthouse here in this place God's going to send you out to impact the city in an incredible way Amen I said you know we don't ever want to go to the grave with sin when we've got a Savior who's already dealt with our sin. Amen. But also, listen, we don't have to go to the grave needing a miracle when we serve a miracle-working God. Amen. And, and, and the miracle worker is here amongst us. And if you need a miracle tonight, God is here. He is willing to meet your need. He's willing to touch your life. And, and, and perhaps you need uh, healing in your body or perhaps you need supernatural provision. Maybe you need something shifted. Maybe you need something that seems to have died, resurrected in your life. You need God to intervene in an incredible way. Maybe you need debts cleared in your in, in your circumstances. You need God to wipe a slate clean in your life. He's able to do that tonight. Or maybe you're not so much needing a miracle, but tonight you're just thirsty. 
for the Holy Spirit. Tonight, you just, you just want to bring that vessel to God. You're just like, God, here's my vessel. Here's my Tupperware container. Here's my fishbowl. Here's my bathtub. Here's my swimming pool. Lord, fill it up. Fill it to overflowing. I want more. I want more. And so if that's you tonight, if you want to receive from God, why don't you just get out of your seat? Come on down the front. We're going to pray. We're going to minister to you because I know that God wants to touch you tonight. So come on down. And, and, and even as, as that, that widow, they went out into the neighborhood. They grabbed their, they went to their neighbor's house. They went to their friend's house and they got the bowls and the buckets and everything from them. And, and so listen tonight, why don't, you, why don't you tap your friend on the shoulder? Why don't you tap your neighbor, the person standing before, beside you? And why don't you say to them, hey, come on. I'm going out and I'm going to take your vessel with me because I know God wants to pour out more than I can contain. He wants to pour out what both of us can't contain. He wants to do something amazing. He wants to do something amazing. Come on, come on, listen. I'm not closing this altar, but listen carefully. Listen carefully because in 2 Kings chapter 13, when Elisha himself was on his deathbed, King Jehoash came to visit him. This was the king of Israel. He came to visit the prophet when the prophet was on his deathbed. And when the king came and saw the prophet on his deathbed, you know what he said, don't you? He said, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. You think, so what? What a strange thing to say. It's the second time and the only two times that this is spoken in Scripture. And, and this is another moment. It's a moment when a prophet is about to be taken to heaven. And just like when Elijah was taken to heaven, that was a moment when a blessing was up for grabs. That was a moment when a prayer was about to be answered. It was a divinely appointed moment. And here was King Jehoash. In this moment, how was he going to handle this moment? Was he going to embrace the full blessing that God intended for his life in this moment? Because what happened was the prophet Elisha said to Jehoash, grab yourself a bow and get some arrows. And he said, go to that window over there and shoot the arrow out the window because this is your arrow of victory over the army of Aram. This is the army that kept raiding Israel. This is the army from which Naaman was the commander. Shoot out there. This is the arrow of your victory. And then he said this, then take the rest of the arrows and strike them on the ground. And King Jehoash took those arrows and he went, Tap, tap, tap. And Elisha burst out in a rage. He said, you idiot. Why did you only do this? These are your, this was representing your victory. And you just went half-hearted with the way that you struck these on the ground. He said, because you only struck the ground three times, you are only going to have three victories over the army of Aram and you are not going to completely destroy them. If you had hit the ground five or six times, you would have had complete victory over the army of Aram. It's all about how you respond in the moment. It's, you see, you're not going to get a double portion if you pray a half-hearted prayer. And when this moment presents itself to us, you can approach it in one or two ways. You can go tap, 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 or you can start bashing that ground. You can start banging on heaven's door. You can start crying out to God with all of your heart because I don't know about you, but I don't want a half victory in my life. I don't want a half breakthrough in my life. I don't want my cup half full. I want my cup filled to overflowing. I don't want half a blessing. I want a double portion. Does anybody else here want a double portion? Anybody else want more? Who wants an overflow? You don't just want a healing tonight. You want to be filled and you want that double portion anointing on you so that God can flow through your life as well. Hallelujah. Ooh. I just sense God wants to pour it out. I really sense He wants to pour it out. And, and I don't want you to hold it back. I want you to start crying out to God like you're back. Listen, I was sharing this story in a church. In fact, I was hearing 
many years ago, I heard this story, but, but what happened? I was compelled. There was a moment where the guy preaching said, we are going to dance for our miracle. He didn't share this story. He was just saying, we are going to dance for our miracle. And, and it popped in my mind, this story about banging the arrows on the ground. And I thought, well, if we're going to dance for our miracle, I'm going to dance for my miracle. I mean, and I, I kind of, I, I like that song that we were doing earlier on about the party. I got a feeling we can finish with that later on, but, but we need this Holy Spirit one right now. But, uh, but I thought I'm going to dance for my miracle. And I just started jumping up and down and jumping around. And I was a sweat bag, man, when I'd finished dancing. I was just all over the place. But you know, something happened. A breakthrough came into my circumstance. God began a shift. And I remember when I was preaching in England and I was sharing the story and I was talking about dancing for the breakthrough and all. And there was a lady in the church who about eight years or 10 years earlier, and she was a phys ed teacher and she had smashed her knee. She'd fall over and smashed her knee and wrecked it. And it was like swollen and it was black and it was painful and she was on pain. And she was just surviving for about eight years. And in this moment, she got this revelation and dancing for the miracle. And she just started getting up and jumping up and down on that leg. And God healed it. I mean, the swelling went, the pain, the pain went, the black went. It was like God did something amazing in that moment because she responded. She began striking those things. She began crying out for a double portion. She didn't miss the moment. You don't want this to be a dope moment in your life. You want this to be a significant moment that God's presenting to you. So come on, let's stretch our hands up. If you haven't already come out here, why don't you come on out? Say, God, fill me. God, have your way in me. I want more of you. I want more of you. Hey, hey but by the way, I just want to pause for a moment in this, in this. If you're not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, you haven't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't yet speak in tongues. That's the first feeling to overflow of that container, okay? And you'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Who's that tonight? Give me a wave. How many are tonight? Yeah? Anyone else? You're all baptized in the Holy Spirit already? Oh, that's all right. Okay, we've got a few. Why don't you guys come as well? You guys come as well. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But for the rest of you here, it's an overflowing, it's a healing, and God's going to move in a mighty way. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.